0: Postal Publishing, the Going Postal Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing@gmail.com. at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, Go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Chapter 38 They were running back in the direction they'd come from. He hadn't been certain at first, especially since there was darkness all around them. Pretty soon they were running down the corridor where they'd gone right instead of left previously. Instead of going into the general population, they'd gone somewhere that Jason had never been before. When they made it to that intersection this time, they went into the general population, towards the cells. "'Why are we going here?' Jason asked with panting breath. "'Why didn't we go back outside?' "'They're probably dead,' Matt said. "'Haven't you heard the gunfire?' He had. Shortly after the shots had stopped behind them, there were more shots from in front of them. The sound was muffled as if it were coming from outside the building. He hadn't given a whole lot of thought to the shots because of the monsters that were on their trail. He couldn't tell how many were back there, but they were still coming. They'd significantly closed the gap between them, but were still back there somewhere. Whenever they took a different path, the vampires had slowed momentarily. Jason asked Matt why that was after the first turn.
1: They can smell us,
0: Matt had told him.
1: They can't hear as well as we can but they have perfect eyesight in the dark as well as an acute sniffer. You sweat, they follow.
0: That had seemed logical enough, seeing as supercharged leeches that had no right to even exist were chasing them. How can you see where we're going? Jason asked as they entered the large room known as General Population. Jason looked up, barely able to see the outlines of the large metallic structures. There were more than 400 windows in this large room, one for each prison cell but even that didn't produce enough light to see what was going on. Most of the light came from the ground floor, where several flashlights moved back and forth on the outside of the building. Matt took them to the left, opposite from where Jason's cell had been for the last 15 years. They did not run up any stairs. They stayed on the ground floor, running as fast as they could. Jason nearly tripped over an object that he couldn't see, but Matt quickly got his hands underneath Jason's arms, helping to hold him upright. They ran most of the way to the other end of the room before the door opened behind them. A growl similar to that of a wolf broke out behind them and was getting closer more quickly than before. They were coming. It wouldn't be long now. "'Give me your belt!' Matt said as they turned sharply to the left and entered a cell. He removed a small flashlight from his pants and held it between his teeth. Matt was full of surprises. Matt let go of Jason then started working at his own belt. Jason stared for a moment, trying to figure out what was happening before he started pulling his own belt off. He unbuckled his belt and slid it out from the loops in his pants. By the time he'd finished, Matt was pulling at the door to his cell. He was trying to get the door closed, but was having trouble. Jason dropped the belt to the floor and ran to Matt. He grabbed hold of the steel, trying desperately to help him get the door closed. Normally the door opened and closed via remote from a control center, They were trying to close it against the guides that pulled the door open and pushed it closed again. The door creaked, but moved slowly. Jason groaned, and the veins on his arm stood out as the door broke free from the mechanisms and finally slid to the closed position. It slammed against the far wall and came to an immediate stop. Jason watched as Matt took his belt and slid the non buckle end through a small hole in the brick. He then slid his hands out through the steel bars and grabbed hold of the belt. He pulled the leather back through and buckled the belt through a hole that had been cut into the belt by a sharp object. Matt turned, holding out his hand. Jason looked at him for a moment before realizing that it was his belt he was looking for. Jason looked down, trying to find it. It was a black belt and blended in with the darkness. He dropped to his knees and felt the floor. His fingers seemed to find only painted brick until he felt the leather. He grabbed hold and flicked it towards Matt with one movement of his wrist. He thought that he'd thrown it too high, but Matt snatched it out of the air easily. He slid the belt through a second hole in the brick and wrapped it around the second bar. He pulled the belt tight. Just as he let go, a large vampire grabbed hold of the bars. He pulled at the bars, trying to bend them. He hadn't noticed the belts yet.
1: "'That won't hold them for very long,'
0: Matt said, turning towards Jason. "'They're kind of dumb when they're grunts. You have to help me pull apart this bed.' It took Jason a moment to comprehend the words. Pull apart the bed? Why in the hell would he want to do that? He decided not to question it, and do as he was told. So far, listening to Matt had kept him alive. He moved to the opposite side of the bed that Matt was on, but Matt called for him to move back around to his side. We have to flip the bed over, Matt told him. Jason gripped underneath the frame. He was surprised to find that the frame was made of wood, rather than metal. When Jason first arrived at Lipsky Swamp more than 15 years ago, all of the beds had wood frames, just like his bed at home. Over the years, the prison had been replacing the wood frames with metal frames, claiming that it was so the inmates couldn't turn the wood into weapons. Jason hadn't heard of anybody who had actually done such a thing, but that was the reason he'd heard. The bunk he shared with Rick had been exchanged for a metal frame six years ago. He was more than surprised to find a wooden frame still here. Matt must have been reading his mind as they lifted their side into
1: the air because he said, It took me two days to find somebody who still had one of these frames. I had to trade a lot to get it. Then I had to do some modifications secretly. Modifications? As the bed landed on its side, it
0: broke into several pieces. Matt reached down and grabbed hold of several objects, bringing them to the far side of the room and putting them in a pile. He moved back to the bed, grabbed something else, and returned to the previous spot. He knelt and worked at something. Jason's attention had been grabbed by what was happening at the door to the cell. Now there were two of them out there. They still hadn't noticed the belts. They attempted to bend the steel bars and open the door. He imagined that the belts were stretching against the strength of these two beasts. Matt struck something. It almost sounded like a match. Jason turned in time to see a small flame starting to grow. The flame spread across the surface of what Matt had set out. The flames moved quickly, covering the pile of wood in less than three seconds. I emptied a lighter, Matt said, as if he had to explain what he was doing. Jason was in awe. This man had come to prison with nothing. Somehow, in about a week's time, he'd managed to get everything he needed, including what he was now kneeling on the floor for. Matt stood, holding four wooden posts. They had been
1: sharpened to points, creating stakes. "'Jesus. "'Jesus has nothing to do with what we're about to do,' Matt told him. He handed a stake to Jason. "'Remember, you stab them in the heart,' he pointed at a spot on his
0: chest. The light of the fire grew, allowing Jason to see the exact spot.
1: "'Their bones are more brittle than mine or yours.' Stabbing them here will usually avoid the bones or break one. It'll send the stake right through to their fucking hearts. Understand? Jason nodded, but
0: was unsure he could actually go through with it. He looked out the cell door. The flickering fire made the vampires look even more demonic than before. They looked like fiery demons from the pits of hell. He wanted them to die. More importantly, he wanted to live. Matt moved forward holding the stake out in front of him. He held a second stake in the other hand. He moved it forward and pointed it at the vampire on the left. His head moved back and forth, keeping an eye on each of them. His body tensed, as if he were preparing for something. Jason watched as Matt moved to the bars. One of the vampires reached in. Matt swung the stake, stabbing the vampire in the arm. The vampire immediately pulled his arm back. The stake fell to the ground. Matt's left arm moved forward, thrusting the stake through the bars and into the chest of the left vampire. The vampire stepped back, grabbing at his chest. The end of the stake stuck out from his chest. Grayish goo oozed out from around the stake, dripping down the front of the shirt and onto the floor. He howled, screeching in pain. He dropped to one knee. Smoke rose from around the wound, rising into the air. The vampire looked down, seemed to realize what was happening and tried to put out the invisible fire with the palm of his hand. The other vampire didn't seem to notice what was happening to his partner. He kept trying to get into the cell, forgetting he had just taken a stake to his own arm just seconds earlier. The vampire continued to smoke until actual flames appeared out from the wound. His eyes grew as large as silver dollars, and his face showed that he knew that this was the end. Within seconds, Red flames engulfed the monster, burning him alive. His skin charred and cracked. His eyes exploded and his teeth fell to the ground, disintegrating upon impact. His hair exploded into ash, then collapsed downwards, destroying everything it touched until there was nothing left but a smoldering pile of clothes and a wooden stake. All disbelief that Jason once had in the existence of vampires disappeared in the smoke rising from the ashes. Everything that Matt had said... Everything that he'd witnessed previously couldn't compare to the realization he now faced. he'd watched as something dresses a man burst into flames right before his eyes after taking a stake to the heart. Nothing could get more real than that, nothing there was still another vampire to worry about, and by the lack of sound outside, there were going to be more on the way. They would come, and he, as well as Matt, would surely die. He'd heard the amount of shooting outside. There had to be dozens of them, maybe as many as a hundred. If they came into the prison, there would be no chance of escape. Matt had a plan, but there's no way he could anticipate what dozens of bloodthirsty vampires would have in store for them. Especially if his parents were among them, not to mention the man that murdered them. What were their chances of getting out of here alive? One in a million? One in a billion? They were down to three stakes and the fire had started to dwindle. Matt must have seen what Jason seen. He moved to the remains of the bed and pulled some material out of the mattress. Surprisingly, there were two more stakes. The rest was scrap wood. He concentrated on the scraps, tossing them on the fire.
1: We'll have to be careful, Matt said, walking back towards Jason. If that fire gets too hot or gets hold of that mattress, all of this will be for nothing. There's not exactly anywhere for us to go. "'How many more stakes do you have?' Jason asked. "'This is it,' Matt said, tossing one towards Jason's empty hand.
0: "'If you
1: stab one, try not to do what I did. "'It would be beneficial to hang on to as many as we can.'
0: Jason didn't doubt that. He looked back at the fire, welcoming the light it provided. He also looked at the window in the cell. It had gotten brighter outside. It wasn't morning, that was for sure. It probably wasn't even midnight yet.' That must mean that the moon came out. That was a welcome thing. With Jason's paralyzing fear of the dark, any and all light was welcome. Jason took in a deep breath, turned to face the other vampire, then moved forward. Matt moved towards him, looking as if he was going to say something, then didn't. He stood his ground as Jason moved past him, on a one-way course to the vampire on the other side of the bars. The vampire thrashed frantically. He wanted to get in very badly. In the light of the fire, Jason could see his nostrils flare repeatedly. He was trying to breathe in their scent. It seemed that he was having difficulty. Jason suddenly understood what the true purpose of the fire was. It camouflaged their scent, giving them extra time. Only the smarter vampires would be able to tell that they were in the cell. As Jason reached the bars, the vampire reached through, nearly slicing Jason's chest. "'Jason had bent backwards at the very last moment, "'narrowly avoiding the claws. "'He thought about striking then, but thought better of it. "'The arm was moving erratically "'and could possibly knock the stake out of his hand. "'Jason had just seen how effective stakes were against these things. "'He couldn't afford to let one get knocked away. "'There was already one lying outside the cell. "'That gave them five remaining stakes. "'The arm came again. "'The monsters left. "'The vampire swung hard, Moving his arm across his chest, Jason saw a narrow opportunity. He lowered himself quickly and aimed for a spot in the ribs, sending the stake forward on an upward angle that he hoped would penetrate through the heart of the vampire. The problem was that he was on the vampire's left side. The stake was long, eight inches or so, but he didn't know if it would be long enough. He was amazed by how easily the stake penetrated through the skin. Blood and goo oozed from the hole. At first it didn't look as if it was going to work. Jason pushed harder until he felt it tear through something soft. He grabbed hold of the stake and pulled at it as the hand came back around. Jason fell backwards, landing hard against the concrete floor. His head struck, but not hard. It was still hard enough where he momentarily saw stars. It took a moment for him to get his bearings. As he lied there, not sure of what was going on, It reminded him of playing football. It was his junior season, the last season he would play before being incarcerated. He was on the kickoff unit, better known as the Suicide Squad. The kicker had teed up the ball and kicked it high into the air. It was Jason's job to get down the field as fast as he could and break up the wedge created by three linemen. He moved quickly, lowering himself to get leverage. His helmet struck against another player's helmet. The force of the impact sent a shockwave deep into his brain. For two or three seconds, he had no idea where he was or what he was doing. When he finally realized that he was on the football field, he found himself on the other side of the wedge with the kick returner directly in front of him. He made the tackle, but had been lucky, just like now. His mind slowly came to, his vivid images vanishing. He now knew where he was but realized that he would have rather been where his mind had taken him. That was a simpler time, when he didn't have to worry about vampires or killers. His parents had been still alive and were in the stands. Things had been good then, with none of the worry of today. He didn't have to hang on to a stake. Stake. He looked down at his hands, hoping against hope that he'd managed to hang on to the stake. He checked both hands, seeing that they were completely empty. He cursed himself in his mind. He looked up and saw Matt's hand held out to him. He extended his right and let Matt help him to his feet. How's your head? Matt asked, looking at him closely.
1: Your eyes have taken on that faraway look again. You didn't make that concussion worse, did you? How would I know? Jason asked, struggling to get the words out. Shit, Matt swore. Double fucking shit. Your brains have been scrambled twice in the last 24 hours. Shit, I can't guarantee that we haven't done something that could stick with you for years to come.
0: Matt looked Jason over carefully, examining him with his eyes. Matt slowly extended his right hand to Jason's left ear and dabbed at it with his finger. Jason couldn't hear what Matt said next. He could hear the words, but they were coming from a faraway place. His eyes looked everywhere, taking in everything. "'he saw the vampire on the outside of the cell. "'He had burst into flames "'and was now nothing more than a pile of ashes and clothes. "'No stake. "'He looked down and saw the stake on the floor "'next to where he'd been lying just seconds before. "'He'd hung on. "'He tried to smile, but found that he couldn't. "'The world was spinning, "'and he couldn't keep his legs straight anymore. "'He dropped. "'Arms grabbed hold of him, "'helping him to the cold floor. "'Even though he was on a hard surface... He was still falling. The darkness, the evil darkness, grew larger all around him as he fell deeper and deeper. His consciousness ceased. The last thing he'd remember was what he saw on the tip of Matt's finger. Blood. Chapter 39 Matt Zern was out of ideas. There weren't any vampires at the moment trying to beat down their door. But this situation went not last. He really needed Jason, but he was unconscious. He really couldn't blame any of this on Jason. His fear of the dark was real. His concussions were real. His parents and their killer being nearby were real. Despite everything working against Jason, he had fought and killed a vampire. He was proud of him for that. Maybe if he could get over his fear he would have a chance to get the revenge he sought against the vampire who murdered his parents. He couldn't take the time to think about that at the moment. He'd never seen anything like this in all of the years since his daughter's death. By the sound of it, the vampires had sent their entire clan to the prison. Why in the hell would they do something like that? Their entire existence was based on not being discovered by humans. Doing this left them vulnerable to discovery. Matt wondered if they were coming after him, and that this was all some elaborate scheme to get rid of him for good. He suspected that they were extremely upset with him. He'd killed more than forty vampires in his time. That number was small compared to the several hundred vampires in the Wisconsin area. They were upset with him for getting in their way and preventing them from meeting. Well, he was pissed off too. They killed his daughter and made her part of their undead sorority. He missed her every day. These last twelve years had been spent searching for her, trying to free her from their control. He suddenly realized something. She would have been twenty if she were still alive. He had missed out completely on her teenage years. While he waited for the next wave of vampires to find them, he found his mind going back to the night she died. It was the night that stuck out in his mind as the very worst night of his life... It had changed his life forever. Laura Zern died one year after her mother, almost to the day. Brenda Zern had been the victim of an auto accident on her way home from work. The driver of a semi lost control on the icy roads. Before he could regain control, he hit the Dodge Intrepid driven by Brenda. The coroner said that she had died on impact. Matt wished he could believe that. Laura's death wouldn't be as quick. It had already been twelve years since she should have died, much too long for anybody. She deserved better than what she has already been forced to endure. The night Laura died was like most nights following Brenda's death. They stayed up until the ten o'clock news came on, then sent her to bed. She brushed her teeth and got into her pajamas. She came out into the living room one last time to hug her father. He gave her a light pat on the back and sent her to bed without so much as one word. All these years later, he wished that he had done things differently. There's a saying that hindsight is always 20-20. They have no clue how right that is. It gives you perspective on what you should do every day to make sure that you are living your life to the fullest and sharing it with those around you. He should have known better after Brenda died. He had been a very foolish man back then. He hadn't suspected anything was wrong. How could he? There had been no signs of anything. He went to bed thinking that everything was all right. How wrong he'd turn out to be. The noise that woke him was something he'd mistaken for the house settling. It was nothing more than a low creak. He never thought that the noise could be footsteps, until he heard Laura scream. Well, she sort of screamed. It was hard to call it a scream when it came out as a gurgle, as if she were screaming through liquid. He jumped out of bed and ran towards her as fast as he could. It was hard to see anything in the dark. He flipped on light switches as he passed them, creating a lit path to his daughter's room. He entered the bedroom at full speed, racing to the side of her bed. She lied on the bed, writhing in pain. Her hands covered her throat. Blood oozed out of the creases between her fingers, turning her hands red. It's okay, honey, Matt said, dropping to his knees. He pried her hands away from her throat, wishing he hadn't. What he saw was something that he would come to see many times over the next twelve years. The tendons, the blood, and the shredded skin all stood out. Looking down as his daughter gasped for air made him want to trade places with her. He wanted to help her, but didn't know how. He knew she was going to die. He'd never heard of anybody surviving having their entire throat ripped out. I love you. Matt cried through tears, but his daughter had already stopped moving. She was already dead. Her blank eyes stared up at him, no longer blinking. To him, they were accusing eyes. "'You were supposed to protect me,' they said. How was he supposed to protect an eight-year-old girl from having her throat ripped out? His blood boiled with rage as he turned to find out who or what could have caused something like this. What he found was a large man... "'standing well over six feet tall. "'He was one of the largest men that Matt had ever seen. "'Blood dripped from disgustingly large teeth. "'The man, if you could call him a man at all, "'was smiling at him with those disgusting teeth. "'His eyes were green, but bloodshot and glazed, "'the eyes of a man that was more animal than human. "'Why would this man have killed his daughter? "'Why? "'He wanted to know.' but wasn't going to take the time to find out. He charged at the large man, intending to rip him to pieces with his bare hands if he could. The large man's right hand flew forward with inhuman speed, grabbing Matt around the throat. He was lifted into the air easily, as if he weighed no more than a feather. He dangled from the man's grip, no oxygen making it into his lungs. His throat felt like it was on fire. He knew that he was going to die. His survival instincts kicked in, and so did his legs. He started kicking at the large man, aiming for the one spot that he knew would bring even the largest of men to his knees. He aimed for the man's groin, intending to send his balls all the way up to his throat. He got the man's thigh on the first attempt. Hitting the man's muscular thigh was like hitting a wall. His bare toes hurt from the impact. He kicked again and connected. The large man's eyes grew a little, but his grip didn't lessen. His mouth opened, exposing teeth that belonged to an animal. He was about to eat Matt's throat in the same manner he had done to his daughter. Thinking of Laura got him moving again. He'd already found the spot. He kicked again and again, striking the large man's testicles. Each impact brought a similar reaction to the previous, but it was obvious that he was starting to make some progress. He was actually hurting him. His vision became hazy as he realized that he was about to pass out. He'd gone so long without oxygen that he was either going to pass out or be choked to death. He suspected that the latter was more likely. I'm coming to join you, Matt thought, as if he were speaking to both his daughter and his wife. In a last desperation effort, he wound up one final time and kicked the man as hard as he could. He kicked with so much force that he could have made the roster of any soccer or football team. The large man howled, then released his grip on Matt. Matt fell to the floor, landing on his right side. He coughed hard as sweet oxygen returned to his lungs. It hurt to even breathe and was torture when he swallowed, but he was alive, but maybe for not much longer. The large man never fell. He held himself for about ten seconds, then refocused on Matt. "'intent on killing him once and for all. "'Trying desperately to survive, "'Matt looked the room over for anything he could use as a weapon. "'Laura didn't have a baseball bat, nor did she have a pellet gun. "'What she did have were crochet hooks. "'He saw them in a basket hanging out from underneath the bed. "'Laura had light crocheting with her mother. "'The hooks were reminders of what life was like before the accident. "'Matt crawled, hoping that he would have enough strength.' The hooks were less than five feet away, but so was the large man. He was closing the gap quickly, and somehow Matt didn't think he wanted to fool around. Matt had gotten lucky. The anger of the large man caused him to kick at Matt. The impact hit him on the side of his right thigh, sliding him across the carpet and causing him rug burn in some areas. He didn't notice at first. He was less than a foot away from the hooks. He reached out. "'grabbing hold of one of them. "'Something warm and red landing on his outstretched hand, "'causing him to scream. "'It was his daughter's blood. "'A massive hand grabbed Matt by the back of his pajamas, "'lifting him into the air. "'He knew that there wasn't going to be any fooling around this time. "'Those teeth were going to rip his throat out "'as soon as they came into view. "'He had one chance at this, so he knew he had to make it good. "'Matt swung the crochet hook blindly as he was being turned around. He felt relief when it struck something soft. As he faced the larger man, he saw that the crochet hook was sticking out of the man's left eye. The eye had deflated, sending a clear liquid down the man's cheek, as well as blood. He howled in pain, real pain. He dropped Matt to the ground. Matt tried to get to his feet, but they didn't want to move. He was forty three years old and wasn't used to moving like this anymore. His days of being athletic were supposedly long gone. He got his hands and feet underneath him and stood. He looked back, seeing the large man pawing at his face, trying to get the hook out. He grasped for the metal and finally found it. Between two massive fingers, the large man removed the crochet hook. Matt grimaced at the sound. A slimy sucking sound accompanied the remains of the eyeball as it extended out from the man's face, leaving an empty eye socket. The eyeball hung from a black cord that was still connected to something in his head. The man pulled at the eye, snapping the cord. He dropped everything to the floor and started moving again. Matt had seen enough. He ran out of his daughter's bedroom and went straight for the front door. He found that he could still run when he needed to. He made it to the door, opened it, and quickly ran into the night. He ran from the house, not caring about the grass... "'gravel, concrete, and occasional glass "'he found along the way. "'He was getting away from that thing. "'Matt had run a quarter mile "'before he realized that he wasn't being followed. "'He turned around and looked at his house. "'He saw the lights blazing in an otherwise dark night. "'He scanned the windows, searching for movement. "'He knew that the intruder was still in there somewhere, "'there with his daughter. "'He wanted to kill that bastard. "'He didn't have a gun,' and had never considered owning one. Now he wished that he had reconsidered that at some point. Maybe his daughter would have still been alive. The sound of footsteps outside his cell brought Matt out of his thoughts. Any time he thought about Laura, he found himself teary-eyed and sad. He was both as another vampire came into view. Anger filled his veins. He wanted to take out all of his frustrations on whomever it was that stood before him. He moved forward, holding the stakes outward. The vampire, a grunt by the look of it, tried to break in the same way the others had. He didn't see the belts holding the bars closed. Matt moved to the bars, then quickly stepped back as the vampire swung at him. He waited for his opportunity and thrust his right arm forward, sticking the end of the stake into his chest. He immediately pulled the stake out, knowing that he had done the deed. He took two steps back, watching as the vampire disintegrated before his eyes. To Matt, there was no better feeling in the world than watching a vampire burn to ashes. Seeing those murderous beasts get a taste of their own medicine with such an adrenaline rush. Part of him wished that he wasn't getting too old for this. He wanted to continue hunting them, feeling the adrenaline rush as he killed them one by one. His original intention was to retire after he killed the monstrosity that murdered his daughter and set her free from her prison. As time passed, he became aware that he might not get that chance. He was over fifty years old and feeling it a little more each and every day, especially now that he was in prison. He was no longer able to keep himself in as good of shape as he had before his arrest. His fucking arrest. That's where all this trouble came from. He couldn't wait to get out of here. He went back to the pile of wood on the floor, picked up a few pieces, then tossed them onto the fire. The fire instantly grew in intensity, but not to the point where he had to worry about it being too hot or too dangerous for them. The belts were all that was keeping them alive. In the years since becoming a wanted man, spending all of his time hunting vampires, Matt had come into a decent amount of money. It was money that he'd hidden within himself as he'd gone into prison. It was money that had convinced the cos to get him his wooden bed and turn a blind eye as he carved three small slits into the wall allowing the belts to slide through. They were using two of the slits now, which was better than nothing. Matt saw that Jason was moving as he returned to his position at the door. His head lifted slightly and his eyes opened. He was coming too. The poor kid had taken two shots to the head in less than 24 hours. His brain had to be swelled from the multiple times it had smashed against the inside of his skull. He wondered if Jason would ever be the same Or would concussion symptoms become a part of his everyday life from here on out? Matt turned back to the door, thinking that he'd heard footsteps. What he saw both excited him and froze him solid. It was a little girl with black hair. She was still eight years old, even after all the years since her death. She was a thing of beauty, angelic in every way. He wanted to go outside and touch her, but knew that could never be. Laura, he asked. You've been listening to the Going Postal cast For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, going postal publishing.